Welcome to the Health Focus Podcast, brought to you by Memorial Healthcare, where we discuss current trends and topics in healthcare that are important to our local Shiawassee community. We're coming to you from the Now Building and our podcast studio. I will be your host, Dr. Gregory Flermone, a general surgeon here at Memorial. With me here today is Dr. Amit Masi, a board-certified neurologist who specializes in headache medicine. Dr. Masi, thank you very much for joining us today. Why don't you start out just telling us a little bit about yourself, what brought you to Owasso and Memorial? Very fortunate to be here. I did my residency at Michigan State University, graduated in 2009. After that four wonderful years, I did a year at U of M, did my headache fellowship there at that time. And then after completing my fellowship, I was debating where to practice at. I was debating whether to go stay at U of M or come back to MSU. And my ties were back at MSU. My wife went to undergrad there and everything. And I knew the community. So I practiced at MSU for approximately 10 years. Then I left and came and joined Owasso Memorial. Very fortunate. One of our senior, um, one of my, I should say, residents, co-residents, he was a year below me, Dr. Rani Abureshad. He was the first um, neurologist amongst us younger crowd, came out here, and he recruited a lot of us. And fortunately, I was one of those uh, physicians that he recruited and uh, been very happy to be here. So in my practice, we typically just do all types of headaches and facial pain. We do tension headaches, migraines, and uh, we deal with, like this morning, trigeminal neuralgia. We also have cluster headaches as well, too. So lots of different oral facial pain and also headache syndrome. Well, again, thank you for being here at Memorial. I know it's, when I started, it was very strange that this small community hospital, I think at that point when I started, we had nine neurologists, and it's only expanded. It's right. it's strange, but it, it works. It, it's so weird, but it, it works, you know, especially with, you know, I don't, remember, don't know if you remember, my wife's actually a patient of yours. I has, do. Has right. wonderful I things to say that. about you guys. And it's just, it's just amazing what we offer here at Memorial. So migraines, that's kind of the, the hot topic. Why we have you here today? Explain what is a migraine and how it kind of differs from other types of headaches. So migraines can be very debilitating type of headache. It's a specific type of headache. Most people don't realize that it doesn't necessarily have to be debilitating. I have so many patients saying, oh, I know my headache is not a migraine because, oh, I'm not in bed like my parents were. Okay. Oh, I, I don't have that visual disturbance like my parents do or my sister does, right? So what American Headache Society and International Headache Society may try to make the diagnosis simple for patients and also providers too. So patients on one hand need to have headache symptoms, and then on the other hand, they need to have other symptoms associated with their headaches. Those headache symptoms, you need to have two of the following, moderate to severe pain, throbbing at some point, and people, people typically say, I can feel my heart beating in my head, doc, okay. things like that. And people also say that it's one side of your head, and then finally, if the patients had a choice, they'd prefer not to work with that headache pain. They might have to work, mm -hmm. and then um, they say, that's why it's not a migraine, because I continue to work. I said, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. But if you had a choice, would you prefer not to? Then most people say, yes, I'd prefer not to work. So you only needed two of those four. Okay. And then you need one of the following. Light and sound sensitivity. So patients would prefer when they have that severe headache, be in a dim room quiet room and then people also have sometimes nausea or vomiting just one of those is is, is there a time component of or a frequency component associated with that that helps classify them or yeah. rules them in and out of being a migraine so we look at how frequent patients have migraines so basically we're trying to look at the disability level so if patients have more than eight migraine days per month then they're pretty close to likely the diagnosis of what we call chronic migraine. Okay. So chronic migraine versus episodic migraine is, um, in terms of disability, is significant. Patients typically have a lot more disability with chronic, but 
people who have frequent episodic, which is still roughly you can say six to eight migraines per month, less than that, something around there, people will still have a significant amount of disability with that okay. because they are missing out on family time with their family, mm-hmm. work time. They're not as productive, so it's very um, disabling for people. All right. So how common are migraines? What, what percentage of the population, you know, have these or or may have them and don't even know what they're dealing with? That's such a great question. So migraines are actually very common. In the U.S., it's approximately 12% of the population will have that. In Michigan, we have uh, 10 million Michiganders. So 12% of that is approximately 1.2 million mm-hmm. Michiganders with migraines. So it's more common than you expect. And what you commonly find is that actually patients have, when they go to their family doctor, they're going to talk about their cholesterol, their high blood pressure, you know, all their other ailments that are going on. And migraines that occur maybe once every few months isn't at the top of their list of topics. And so that's why it gets kind of um, forgotten about. But it's actually very common. What kind of treatments are there out there for migraines? And we talked already a little bit about how problematic they can be. What different approaches are there? Multimodality, I would assume. You know, kind of walk, you know, a yeah. potential patient through what they might expect, you know, when you talk to them. So whenever they come into my clinic, I always try to get a baseline headache history. I want to know, hey, how, when did you first start having headaches? And were they migraines from the start or were they just tension headaches? And then did they gradually progress to migraines or have you just had migraines from day one and hasn't gotten better? So basically, I want to know what the patient's headache history is, and then I want to know what kind of medications we have. And in terms of what meds we try, first of all, we always try to give patients a rescue medication. Okay. And because we know it's going to be disabling, we want to try initially NSAIDs, so non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, such as ibuprofen or Motrin, mm-hmm. Aleve, Naproxen, things like that. Those can typically help with some headache patients, their migraines as well, too. So i uh, start off with NSAIDs with that. And then if that doesn't work, then we traditionally use the old school meds, which are triptans which people commonly know is known as Imitrex is the first one that came out, Maxalt, and then people always say Velpax or Zomid. Those are common ones. Um, those are the old school meds. They do have some side effects. More specifically, you find it with Imitrex. Okay. People will have chest pressure, throat closing sensation. If patients don't know about it, then that can be quite problematic or patients are really concerned about it. But um, some patients, you know, those medicines have been very effective for 20 plus years, 30 years now, and it's been very effective. So all patients will need that rescue therapy. We just are trying to cater which one it is. Now, we look at the frequency of those headaches, right? So we talked about migraines, chronic migraines, having eight migraine days, at least eight migraine days per month. But I didn't do the other piece. Of those eight migraine days, patients need to have for chronic migraine another seven days of a milder headache, so a total of 15 or more days. But what we look at overall is four. Four is the magic number talk about amount of headaches if patients have four or more headache days per month then they can be a candidate for prevention therapy and prevention therapy is geared for you take something every day and the purpose of that is to reduce the frequency of both those mild headaches those tension headaches and also those migraines as well too hopefully they eliminate it most more often than not it doesn't eliminate it but it reduces the frequency so patients are able to definitely function a lot better now, what we look for is if they have four migraine days, let's say they're at that borderline of four, and they take their Imitrex or their ibuprofen, and that's very effective, then they don't need to be on prevention meds. But if they're taking four, uh, if they have four headache days per month, and the rescue medicines aren't effective at all, then we will start talking about prevention therapy. What else we also look at is disability. Let's say they have less than four migraine days per month. 
but it is very disabling. They're missing work, right? Dr. Flermo, let's <laughs> say you miss once a month for your migraines, right? Yeah. Your office staff would be very upset. <laughs> your surgery, right? Absolutely. Right? Absolutely, yes. Right? So that's what it comes down to. If it's just everybody's missing a one day a month or consistently not being able to spend their time, even though it's less than four days, we should definitely talk to the patient about prevention therapies. Now, what we look for, we traditionally, we used to borrow from seizure med classes, antidepressant classes, and also blood pressure class meds. Okay. Doesn't mean that I always tell patients, it doesn't mean that I think you have high blood pressure, seizures, or depression, but oh, by the way, it also helps for headache and migraine prevention as well, too. Because we know Dr. Google's out there, and patients come out there and say, oh, mm-hmm. I do not have depression. And yeah. I agree, you may not, mm-hmm. but we're here to try to help reduce the frequency. So we look at their comorbid conditions. Mm-hmm. So if they have a lot of insomnia, we might use an antidepressant class that causes a little sedation. Mm-hmm. So, or let's say they do have a lot of uh, fibro pain, abdominal pain, body pain, back pain, we might use like a, a newer antidepressant class meds. So we just try to gear for what are the comorbid ca- conditions the patient has. Okay. And we, that's the target medicines we try. Excellent. That, that sounds great. I know my wife has had some great success with some of these different medications. Um, opioids. You know, we got a you know epidemic going on with all that. Yeah. Do those play a role at all? In my world, we use them a lot, but do they help in this world? Do we try to avoid them? Because I almost think I've heard a lot of people who take narcotics can get you know rebound headaches from them. So I don't. That's a yeah. great point you bring up. Exactly right with that. Um, we try to avoid opioids and headache and pain management. Even our American Headache Society says try to avoid it as lo- much as possible. There's a newer class of meds that came out too called G pants that are there for rescue as well too. So you can do the traditional triptans then go to the G-Pants as a second line. And that's where it becomes, hopefully, we are able to use less opioids. Now, is opioids always odd at the question? No, we do have a few patients on it, but we try to limit their access to it because there is an uh, issue for dependence, and it's just we just want to make sure the patients are safe. It's not we're not trying to uh, give the patients something that's uh, – or get, not give the patients what they want. We hear what they want, but we're just trying to – appropriately treat the patient from what the, we've learned in our training, the right way to treat the patient. The best way to, to get rid of the disability and the symptoms and get them back to being productive sounds like your goal. Correct. And there's, exactly. it seems like there's a lot of ways. So these are very patient-independent things. It doesn't sound like there's, there's not really a cookie cutter to this. Correct. There is no cookie cutter to it. We have to treat each individual separately. We have patient A that might respond to topiramate, which is a, or topamax, which is a common seizure med that we prescribe. But patient B and C will have horrible side effects or it didn't work at all, right? So we, it's, it is an individual approach. So I know we do a lot of research here, and there's a lot of research in the neurology world in general. What what medications are out there, whether in testing or brand new, that, you know, patients might be interested in kind of to either breakthrough or, you know, kind of the preventative type medications? So in the past, they always used to think migraine used to be a blood vessel phenomenon. Blood vessels would stretch and dilate in our brain. And because there's pain fibers in those blood vessel walls, every time it would stretch and dilate, that would be the cause. Now they figured out that it is not that. They suspect that it's likely neuroinflammation that's going on. Certain proteins or neuropeptides are released at the time of a migraine. And it, when it reaches a certain point or a threshold, that's when a migraine will be triggered. And they're like, oh, I'm getting a migraine. That's what patients will say. So they figured out there's one protein in particular called CGRP, calcitonin gene-related peptide. That was uh, figured whenever a patient has a migraine, they figured out that was elevated in those patients. So they developed drugs to help reduce the uh, concentration of that protein in the body. 
Now they figured out in the future that there might be another neuroinflammatory protein called PA cap that might be out there that's also um, a contributor to patients' migraines. So there's lots of studies going on trying to see, hey, what's what what other proteins are being elevated when somebody has a, a specific migraine. And so, I, you know, are some of these medications still in treatment, or are they on the market now? They're not in the market right now. Okay. So they're just trying to figure out the developmental phases of, is there actually a patient having a migraine? Is this protein, this PA cap protein okay. being released at that time? Okay. If these medications come to fruition, is that something you'll test a patient for to see yes. which peptide they might, you know, to help tailor your treatment? So this is the future of, of medicine, right? right? So we're hopefully in one day we'll be able to determine, hey, this patient A is a NMDA receptor pain pathway, mm-hmm. while this other patient B is using CGRP. That would be the nice way to do it in the future so we can get targeted therapy for them. Right now there isn't anything in okay. that way, but hopefully in the future we can find targeted therapies for each individual patient. That sounds very promising, you know, especially so. with how debilitating it sounds like these can be. Um, anything outside of medications? Uh, you know, I know there's a lot of triggers for migraines, whether it's stress, you know, things like that. Does Botox play a role? Are there any nerve blocks that can help? Anything like that that you can, you know, in adjunct to the medications? Yeah, so there are people who would like uh, nutraceuticals. So those are things that are more natural approach. Mm-hmm. So we do use a little magnesium patients because it's a muscle relaxer Mm -hmm. as well as it blocks an NMDA receptor pathway as well too. We also use OMM. I find that that's been very effective for a lot of my patients, especially with neck related components with their headaches and even jaw components with their headaches. Um, We try uh, various other things, vitamins like B2. Um, We also try uh, lots of other natural resources. But then there are um, interventional procedures that we can do as well too. Something that's been out for almost 15 years now is Botox for migraines. In the past, remember, Botox was used for cosmetics. Mm -hmm. And um, initially, it was used for blepharospasms, for for cramping around your eyes, right? And they figured out these patients, when they were injecting them for these various different disease states, oh, it's helping their migraines. The researchers at the time were AbbVie, and they figured out doing um, clinical trials on patients with frequent migraines, it was effective in reducing the frequency of their migraines as well as their disability. So it was a new innovative way of treating migraine patients and it's been very effective for a lot of people. So patients do have to come in every 12 weeks for um, the Botox and some people say it's painful, some people say it's not, but regardless, patients do feel like it's effective most of the time. There are people who don't respond, but that's okay. We We can try lots of other things as well too. And then we also offer peripheral nerve blocks. So anesthetic agents like lidocaine, lubricaine, similar to what dentists use for dental blocks. Instead of doing it in your mouth, we're doing blocks in the back of your head okay, or above your eyes or around your ears. That can be effective for headache management as well. Now, some of those, so that's more of an acute, because some of those are short-acting medications. They only last for three to four hours. Yeah. So is that where, hey, I've tried everything at home, nothing's working, you know, and that's where that kind of comes into yeah. play? Yeah, so if it, it, that is one situation. Mm-hmm. So it is when somebody does have frequent migraines and they're, you know what, they've tried their Imitrex, they've tried their muscle relaxer and it's not working and they're about to go to the ER. So, yep, we can come in and do that. We also use it in patients who have frequent um, migraines multiple times a week. They're just in that little cycle of frequent mm-hmm. um, status migranosis is what we call it. And basically if we're in that situation, we can do those nerve blocks and that can be effective as well too. We do have a few patients that go, go in every four weeks mm-hmm. and they can get nerve blocks as well and that can be effective for those patients 
any use of Expril, the liposomal bupivacaine that's longer acting? Has that been experimented with or have you seen that in research? Yeah, yeah. I've not seen it in research, mm-hmm. but topical lidocaine has been very effective for a lot of patients. I use that a lot for um, patients who do have previous surgical scars and they say that pain is right there on that surgical scar. Okay. So that we, makes use sense. The, we use it right there. But some of my patients do find that topical is very, very effective. And we also have, um, we can go to a compounding pharmacy and can get topical gabapentin and things oh. like that as well, too. Learn that's something new every day. Excellent. So what makes our migraine program and our headache program here different than what else is out there? You know, why should people come to Owasa Memorial instead of going to the other bigger institutions? I mean, I, kn- I know why I bring my patients here because they get great treatment. But what's different? What do you guys offer? Yeah, so we're very fortunate. In Memorial, everybody works as a team. First of all, it's... All, all, all the colleagues in neurology, we tend to get along pretty well. And then if we need a consult with somebody else because now a patient is having um, a droopiness with their migraines, we want to rule out a special entity called myasthenia gravis. So I just go down the hall, a few doors down, and say, hey, Dr. Novacek, hey, can you make sure this patient doesn't have myasthenia gravis? So we have that multidisciplinary approach, too. So we have um, two pain physicians here in the memorial, one is Dr. Guglani, and the other one is Dr. Azuz that have been both very prominent in, in helping our clinic patients. So what we do is like for a nerve block, for example, if it helps, but it just doesn't last long enough, I go to them and then they can figure out ways to do their own procedures and be helping um, that pain procedure last longer. So they can do cervical rhizotomies or individual nerve rhizotomies or sphenopalatine blocks as well too, to help further along that approach. Well, we have great camaraderie. Okay. Excellent. I, yeah, I, I love our neurology department here. I was always, I don't want to say I was skeptical when I started here, but it's like, is this working? And it, it does. It's amazing. I love what we've built here. And we've been able to expand other things at Memorial because of it. And we really appreciate it. We're, we're, we're very blessed. We appreciate it. Well, everybody, that brings us to the end of this episode. Again, thank you to Dr. Massey for joining us. We appreciate your time. Thank you for listening to Health Focus. If you've enjoyed our show, please make sure to rate and review us wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is Dr. Flermone saying thank you, and we'll talk to you soon.